You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island. I gotta get home! Well, Merry Christmas. Hello, Bedford Falls! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, Gowers Drugs! Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan! Oh, it's the bank! Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! Yippee! And a Happy New Year to you! In jail! Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Warwick Life on Warwick Radio. My name is Scott Nerney. I grew up in Warwick and have been a homeowner for over 30 years in our lovely city. My goal with this podcast is to highlight what is special about Warwick and how you can get the most from our seaside community. This podcast is being presented by the Warwick Center for the Arts, located next to Warwick City Hall, where amazing artists showcase their artwork year-round in their beautiful gallery, in addition to many exciting classes for children and adults. Before I introduce our guest, I wanted to mention, if you have an idea for a guest, subject matter, comment, or question on Warwick Life, drop us a line at warwicklife at gmail.com. Our guests today are Tony Estrella, Artistic Director, and Damon Kiley, Director of A Wonderful Life at the GAM Theater. The GAM Theater is located at 1245 Jefferson Boulevard in our lovely city. The phone number is 401-723-4266, and you can find them on the web at gamtheater.org. Regular box office hours are Tuesday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and the day of show is a little bit different. It's 10 a.m. on weekdays and 12 p.m. on weekends. Thank you very much for coming to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us. You got it. So tell me a little bit about the GAM Theater. Yeah, sure. Uh, The GAM Theater, as we said, we're kind of new-ish in uh, Warwick. Um, The theater itself has been around for, we're in our 37th season now, uh, so it's been quite a while. It started in 1984 in Providence by a group of uh, graduates of the Trinity Rep Conservatory, and uh, that became a kind of running theme over the the, uh, history of the organization in terms of funneling talent into the the organization, myself included. Uh, We were in Providence for many years. Uh, The basically the first half of the life of the theater. We were called Alias Stage, and then we became, uh, due to a naming gift, the Sandra Feinstein Gam Theater. And uh, uh, that was kind of towards the end of our days in Providence, and we moved to Pawtucket, Rhode Island, where we spent uh, kind of, which is, you know, when I became artistic director uh, back in uh, 2002, late 2002. Our first season started in 2003. And then uh, we were there for about 15 years or so before we moved here to Warwick uh, in at the space on Jefferson Boulevard, and uh, we've been here. This is, uh, you know, it's hard to say now, right, because of the pandemic. So it's like the third season, the second season, the third and three and a half. I don't even know. Uh, it, time has collapsed. But uh, so it's kind of a thumbnail sketch. Uh, but 37 years, yeah. And, uh, you know, we've uh, six, you know, kind of grown in that period from a very, very small organization uh, in those those early years, um, even seating-wise, you know, we started, you know, we were in Providence, there were about 64 seats at, at our height, and then we kind of slowly moved up the ladder in, in Pawtucket and then uh, to where we are now in Warwick, so, uh, and we're happy to be here. Uh, thank you for, for going over that, and, and congratulations on 20 years of being at the same theater. Yeah. It really shows your dedication to the, the patrons of the area. Yeah, absolutely. I've been there for a, a long time now, and it's great. You know, I mean, we you know, the theater is there for the community and to be able to establish bonds. Uh, you know, the community itself, they come year after year, and, the, and they make bonds with, with the artists that are working there and that they get to see on stage consistently. Of course, you want to refresh that all the time, but uh, it's great to be to feel like uh, you can 
can be a kind of, you know, an integral part of whatever community you're in. And Rhode Island is, uh, you know, really great in that way because of its size, right? So you can have kind of maybe a little bit more reach in a small state that is as densely packed as ours is than you might in some other areas. Wow. And Damon, you're relatively new to the area for this play. That's right. Yeah, I live in Chicago. And uh, so, you know, I was flown in a couple years ago to do the version in person, and I was flown in this year, and I fly back after opening on Wednesday to Chicago. I work at uh, DePaul University at the theater school there. Um, And we're talking about the version. It's A Wonderful Life, which we're going to be talking about a little more in depth. Before we get there, how many people does the game seat? Well, for It's a Wonderful Life, that's in our larger space. Uh, so that's about right around 300, maybe a little less. Uh, normally, our main stage season, we kind of perform in a black box configuration, which means it just has a certain flexibility to it. And that's about 185. And talk to me about the difference between a radio play. Uh, if someone's listening at home, they, they've probably seen A Wonderful Life or know about the story. But what's the difference between a radio play and actually going to see someone putting the play on yeah sure i mean the when you come there we it looks like an old-fashioned radio studio from you know the late 1940s and this is the thing that happened right is that they would record many dramas through the 20s 30s 40s and sometimes have a live audience and so that's the conceit right is you come here and there's microphones and there's a foley uh operator on the side a foley meaning a sound effect and we have a piano player on stage and so and actors actually have scripts in their hands um um, and so when this show starts, they just walk up to the microphone and start acting their scene. So they're not going to, you know, if they're in a car, they're not going to pretend like they're in a car. They're going to act like they're um, on a, in a car, but through their voice only. You know, the same thing if they're walking, same thing if they're throwing something. You know, it's all... The great thing about it, I think, is that it activates the audience's imagination because we have to imagine everything. We have to imagine the house or imagine the car or imagine the dining room table. And we get all those cues from the sound effects guy who's doing the car noises or the silverware noises or the glass breaking noises. And Tony, last year you did a recording of this. Yeah. The year before, prior to COVID, you did the actual on stage. Mm. Talk to the differences from an actor's perspective of doing a recorded version. Uh, what was that like? You're not really seeing the the, the expressions on people or right. getting feedback. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a bit, uh, I don't know, you know, from the stage actor's perspective, probably a little less satisfying, right? Because you don't have that same kind of direct connection with an audience, um, and which is wonderful and has been so moving to us as we've just started our performances with our first week. Um, so, But it's also, uh, you know, throws a lot of other wonderful challenges at you, you know, that you take away any kind of reliance on the visual, um, which we do rely on a bit in the live show, right? We can't deny that that's happening, and so there's a lot to look at. Um, but on the radio, to Damon's point, you know, it, it forces you to be even more uh, in your voice in terms of how you're directing a line in order to create or spark that imagination in the audience. It's a very different thing. And so when we were doing it last year, I would just try to picture, you know, kind of almost an old fashioned, you know, the, the family sitting around the old radio, you know what I mean? Literally sitting there looking at a radio dial while these stories happened, you know, and you kind of see in the eyes of that little kid or that family watching the, um, the, the that, that their brain is on fire. And so your job is completely vocal, right? It's all about your voice and so you really have to 
figure out even new um, and different ways of focusing that um, change depending on uh, the medium. And so now that we're back live, um, what we we gain uh, a little bit, I don't know, I'm not saying that it makes our job easier that it's uh, that people can see some expression and they can con connect with you, um, but it certainly uh, gives you a few more tools at your disposal uh, to, uh, to tell the story. I can only imagine it. It's when I do the podcast, I always and often say, you know, speak to our audience or tell our audience about, because I know there's people listening. No one's listening to it live right now because it's recorded. Sure. But I always think when the people are listening to it, they're looking at their car radio or they're, they're, they're looking at uh, if they're playing it on the car or on their iPod or whatever it might be. And I try to imagine that they are there. So mm -hmm. I see a little bit of that. Yeah. Now, it would be interesting to have people all around me to look at the podcast while we're taping and right. maybe give it a little bit of that feeling. Yeah. Um, and when you go to the live version, one of the things that I think is just extraordinary to watch is to watch these eight actors play, I don't even know, 40, 50 people. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And often, sometimes even talking to each other, talking to themselves, right? You just <laughs> they, they switch from one character to the next with just a little change in their voice, a change in their expression, you know, a slight difference. And so I think that's a great, fun thing for the audience to watch. You know, it's just that um, virtuosity from the actors. And then I think one last thing that's fun to watch is you get to see this real community of the actors. They're supporting each other. They're enjoying the show. They're watching the show themselves. They're laughing along themselves. They're applauding. They're their own kind of community on stage. And that's another aspect, I think, of what's, awesome in terms of coming to see the show oh and then you know one fun thing uh that uh, we do is when you come in before the show starts we sing a couple of christmas carols with the audience uh which is always a fun time yeah the 12 days of christmas is not to be missed that's right do not be showing up to this show at the last minute you really want to get there about 15 20 minutes early yeah um the foley operator sound man is uh, put through his paces to <laughs> warm up i would say if actors are doing lines practicing on the side. This is a live warm-up right in front of the audience for him. Oh, it's, it's yeah, no, no, we're very lucky. Get to If you're not warm, if we're not warm by the time that uh, we start the show, then uh, we've been doing something wrong. That's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And how did this come together, this radio version play? Well, you know, um, gosh, over 20 years ago, I guess, I was at American Theater Company in Chicago, and we were looking for uh, a holiday show to do that sort of fit the mission of the theater company, which was American, but it wanted to be a little gritty, you know, and truthful. Um, and uh, we saw that there was this Joe Landry version out there, and we worked with him a little bit to kind of work on the script and really make it our own. And so that version actually is now going to have its 20th performance. It's opened already now in Chicago. Uh, it's a wonderful life at, uh, at American. Uh, it's actually American Blues Theater. They sort of changed their name two American Blues from American Theater Company. And, uh, and so a couple years ago, Tony knew that I had a long connection with this. Um, I directed it a couple of times at American Theater Company. I produced it a couple of times. Um, and it's always been my favorite, favorite movie of all time. And so a couple of years ago, Tony was thinking of doing it for his theater company and thought I might be the right person to bring in since I have such a long history with it. And Tony, I know you're pretty full for this year and you're working on next year, but... Are other radio plays maybe on the horizon in the next few years? 
Well, you know, I, I haven't, yeah, it, it's very possible, you know, I look at that set sometimes, I come in and I go, hey, what else could we do? You know, we could do all sorts of adaptations of this. You know, this one's, um, I don't know that it's possible. I wonder what, you know, there's something so special about this piece that you wonder about, you know, kind of diluting the brand, as it were, you know, by uh, because this thing is, um, and I think it's because it's central to a certain conception of America, uh, because of the film, obviously, and the story, and this, you know, and the story is, um, is I think it surprises me as well as I know it, you know, and I know in Damon knows it even better than I do that, but that every time I come back to it, I'm kind of, uh, it forces me to remove the kind of, I don't know, the sepia tone kind of, um, you know, uh, veneer of, oh, it's a wonderful life, you know, oh, that's that, that thing, blah, blah, blah. And then, and it happened to me, I mean, the providence of this was a few years ago, watching the movie for the first time in many years, I hadn't watched it and I couldn't get through it. Uh, I just had to leave the room at, 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 I think his first speech at the bank talking about his father. I was like, okay, oh yeah, wait a minute. This is, uh, not a, this, uh, the, the, there's no confection to this at all. It earns it's, um, whatever might be sentimental about is hard, hard earned in this story. And so, and then because of that, it, it's, you know, it's so special. And I think this radio version of it is, is so special that I, um, you know, you kind of want to want to keep it that way. Much like the the movie, when I saw this two years ago, I listened to the the version to kind of prep for it that you had recorded for mm -hmm. last year on a trip last weekend. And when I was in the theater, I can't get through the show, the last scene, without having some tears. So yeah. uh, to say that it brings me to a little bit of teary-eyed in the movie, you've also brought that in person in the radio play, and I applaud you guys for that. That's you know, that, that really shows what you're doing and the impact you're having. And, you know, as I've kind of retired recently and starting to do a lot more for the community, I kind of look at everybody has a wonderful life. They just mm -hmm. need to find the point where they actually realize that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the radio play couldn't come at a better time. People really need something to cling on to and realize what they still have. Mm -hmm. So you've done a fantastic job to kind of bring that home. Yeah, we think that that's just... The central message of it is so important at this time of year, this idea that, and I think right now, you're right, a lot of people are like, well, what is good about right now, you know, um, and what is good about my life, and what is my life worth, and we've heard so much about, like, valuing my life in dollars and cents, and in the bottom line, and things like that, and this, uh, you know, play ends with the sentiment, you know, no man is a failure who has friends, which, you know, it's moving anytime you hear it. So, Tony, we have a little clip that we'd like to play from last year's broadcast that we've saved uh, to kind of highlight where George is making a crucial decision uh, partway through the play. Yeah, I mean, what happens is Damon was just pointing out, you know, that no man is a failure who has friends. You know, at this point, um, George uh, doesn't think he has any and feels like I think many of us have felt and will again. And, uh, you know, it's a part of being human that at some point, depending on, you know, when the chips are down, that we feel like maybe it would have been better if we had, uh, you know, um, never been around to, to kind of affect the world in the way we have because things seem impossible. There's a hole so deep that we can't dig out of. And that's the point. Uh, the crisis point for George that we, we're going to hear now. So George has a great conversation with Clarence, uh, and it doesn't go so well, but <laughs> George thinks it does. And uh, that sets up really the, the what I would call the second half of the, the play, even yeah. though it's probably the last third. Yeah. Um, and that's fantastic. So we'll hear that right now. Uh, I don't know. Well, I guess you're right. I suppose it would have been better if I'd never been born at all. But 
What'd you say? I said, I wish I'd never been born. You wish you... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. Joseph, what do you think? Oh, yeah, me too. That'll do. That'll do. All right. You've got your wish, George. You have never been born. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. And, Tony, uh, any other insights about the play you'd like to share, or Damon? Yeah, I mean, I think that... To me, the thing that is incredible about this play at this moment in time is that it's about community. Mm. It's about valuing your friends and neighbors over yourself. And George never seems to understand that that's important. He just does it. He just always picks helping others uh, over himself. Um, even though earlier in the play, he, he sort of gives his dad a hard time for doing that. He ends up following in his footsteps, right? And so that idea of community, of coming together, how important is that given that we're coming back to live theater for the first time, you know, uh, in a long time? For some of the actors, many of the actors in the show, this is their first show in two years. Mm -hmm. uh, we think that probably for many audience members, it might be the first show in a couple of years, you know, that they're finally coming back together as a group. And uh, just having seen a few shows already, it's just been incredible to see clearly families coming together or friends coming together or, um, you know, just groups of people who haven't been together before. Um, there's a fun thing we do. Um, before you take your seat, you could um, fill out what we call an instant message where you write a little message to someone in the audience and we read some of those over the air. And it's just been beautiful to hear some of those heartfelt messages from one audience member to another, either in the audience or as if they were listening at home or some people who've passed on, you know, sending messages to those people just seems pretty crucial right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely brings in community. And what's coming up for the remainder of the season? Yeah, sure. Uh, once we're going to, you know, we, we turn a, a big corner once we hit January 1st and uh, we have three more plays. Uh, the first one back is uh, An Octoroon by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, which is a terrific, terrific play, which is his take on a 19th century melodrama. A very famous 19th century melodrama is one of the most popular plays in America in the uh, in, the, in, in that period, um, and which deals with, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's set on a plantation in Louisiana, um, and uh, uh, it's a shocking, provocative, crazy, Crazy, raucous, hilarious uh, play. Uh, when then right after that is another uh, new-ish American play, only a couple years old, called Ironbound by Martina Mayock, which is about a Polish immigrant who is a, a house cleaner, and uh, the whole play takes place at a bus stop uh, um, as she tries to kind of uh, put her life together, and uh, she is the title character, the Ironbound character, and the ferocity with which she approaches uh, her survival uh, is an incredibly moving piece of writing. And then we're going to finish the year with um, Shakespeare's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, you know, we've devoted a bunch of our our lives, uh, our theatrical lives here at the GAM to Shakespeare's work. We kind of do one production just about every other year. And amazingly, for all the Shakespeare we've done, we've never done Midsummer, which is probably his most popular play. Uh, I'm not sure that if that's the reason why we have avoided it or not. Um, <laughs> but here it is. And it seems like, you know, right now, as we all try to wake up from this fever dream of the past two years, uh, it, it seems like hopefully appropriate. And, 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 you know, we're crossing our fingers that certainly by the spring, we're even closer to that. I hope so, too. 
For those of you listening, want to see It's a Wonderful Life or any of the other plays, you can go online to gamtheater.org. During the business hours we gave at the beginning of the show, the phone number is 401-723-4266. And stop by the box office during the days. Uh, They would love to have you in, see the plays for Wonderful Life or for any of the other upcoming shows. And I believe George Bailey had a couple of last comments to leave (laughs) us with. That's right. Merry Christmas, Warwick Radio, and Merry Christmas to Warwick Life. It's a wonderful Warwick life. Thank you to Damon and Tony for spending some time with our audience today and sharing insights on Warwick life. It's a great time to be in Warwick, and for those not living the Warwick life, come pay us a visit, come to the GAM Theater, see A Wonderful Life and many other great plays in our area, and see what we have to offer. That wraps up another edition of Warwick Life on Warwick Radio. If you have any comments, content suggestions, or questions, drop us a line at warwicklife at gmail.com. Thank you to Tester Manuelian for our lead-in in closing music. She's a music major with an incredible career ahead of her. Lastly, don't forget to check out Warwick Center for the Arts at warwickcfa.org. See you next time. You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island.